Mai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. This morning, I'm taking you to Peel to celebrate 60 years of the beach mission there, to find out what's going on at the cathedral and to eavesdrop on a conversation in the cathedral gardens. Faithful service is a strong theme in today's programme and the reassurance of God's faithfulness to us is the message of our first hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee.
the Celebration Choir and the Salvation Army Citadel Band and Great is Thy Faithfulness. This weekend marks the halfway point in the season of beach missions here on the island. Both the beach missions in Peel and Port St Mary have, despite some rather challenging wet weather, been meeting every day for the past week, offering age-appropriate, Bible-based fun and games to children and young people, and social outreach to any parents and carers who'd like to come along too. Malmore on the Lower Promenade in Port St Mary is the base for the beach mission there, with sessions in the town hall if rain or high tide stops outdoor play. And their Facebook page is where you can find lots of photos taken last week, alongside daily session information and details of this week's special additional events, such as the Big Day Out on Tuesday, the family Cayley on Friday night in Living Hope Church in Port St Mary and the Lost Leader Hunt that starts outside Malmore this afternoon at half past three. Here in Peel, the Beach Mission, which celebrates its 60th anniversary this year, can be found every day down on the beach just below the kiosk on Peel Promenade. And as we'll hear in a moment, the Beach Mission has an excellent wet weather home in Peel Methodist Church, opposite the Centenary Centre, just a few minutes' walk from the beach. Peel Beach Mission began in August 1964 and was then part of United Beach Missions. The first mission in Peel was led by Michael Clarkson, who continued to lead until 2021. In the 1970s, United Beach Missions dropped Peel from their programme, so Michael continued the work in Peel, running it as an independent mission. Michael, who became a Christian from an agnostic background in his first year at university, was supported in the mission work by his wife Pam, who is on the island with the team this year, although sadly Michael is not, as he passed away in September last year. Last night in Peel Methodist Church there was a special service to give thanks for 60 years of the beach mission and to celebrate Michael Clarkson's life, the man who, as we're going to hear, put his heart and soul into the success of the beach mission. Joining me now is Reverend Paul Lewis, an Anglican priest who, for 50 weeks of the year, is part of the ministry team at Holy Trinity Church on the Wirral in Chester Diocese. But for two weeks each year, he's right at the centre of the Peel Beach Mission. We've been coming for quite a few years now, and we have the advantage now that our daughter fell in love with somebody on the island, and she now lives in Peel, so we even have a, a place to go and stay in Peel. How did you first get involved with Peel Beach Mission? Well, Michael Clarkson, who founded the Beach Mission, and originally the Beach Mission was run by uh, UBM, which is United Beach Missions, which obviously was made up of students. Michael did go to our, our church at the time. The Beach Mission was struggling for numbers of leaders, and he spoke to us as we were in the church and suggested we might want to come, and therefore we were hooked, and we were coming for all the years later than that. So it was really Michael Clarkson that invited us and inspired us to come along and join him. Tell me about him. What kind of a man was he? Well, Michael was incredible, really. He was a, a fabulous teacher of the Bible. He could remake really the Bible come alive. Everyone knows he was also a hugely valued member of Leehurst, which was the veterinary school in Liverpool. So he was a professor of veterinary studies. And he'd got a reputation of being a sheep expert, globally recognised, because he'd produced a book 
which dealt with sheep illnesses with a colleague at the college. And this book was used all over the world. And I always remember him saying to me, which I thought was quite strange, he, when he became a Christian, and that's one of the things we reflected on yesterday, when he became a Christian, he got involved in church, obviously, but eventually as a vet and as a teacher, he was involved in students, the work of students. So when he wrote this book, he put a, a line in the book that said, feed my sheep. And that was an acknowledgement to him that as a Christian, as a teacher, he was given a role to actually teach people more about God. And he'd even reflected that in his work, which I think was in incredible. He was an incredible person and real inspiration to the team. He built a huge respect in the community. We see that by the fact that they, they treat us as family friends. We get invited to houses. We go into a shop and if we wear the, the T-shirts, they greet us as if they've known us forever. So new members of the team come along and say, somebody's just been chatting with me in the shop about the beach mission and I've never met them. And they've treated me as though I was a friend and that's the wonderful work that Michael did by getting to know people and even Pam continues that because we've now got parents bringing their children and they were once brought by their parents so we've got these generations of people that have grown up with the beach mission and a lot of that was due to the the relationships that Michael built and the respect that he brought with that uh, through the work that he did yeah it's incredible would you say that, that just looking at your ministry in general, that people do believe in God, but they don't necessarily feel attracted to formal church? And do you think perhaps that's why having the beach mission around is important? Yeah, I think uh, the church has got to really move away from the model that we open the doors and people come in. We've got to be much more involved in our local communities. We've got to go where the people are. I mean, Jesus often would teach in the market square, wouldn't he? He'd go by the well because he knew that's where people would meet. And he would share his faith. And he, a lot of that was done through his love and his respect of people. And I think that's what the church has got to do. It's got to find opportunities away from its normal services on a Sunday to actually take that message out to the community. One of the things we shared at, the, at the, the special service was Michael's own testimony. And one of the things he shared was about the beach mission was that they hit on a great idea. And that idea was to be consistently involved in the community. So although it was only two weeks a year, it was roughly the same people came back year after year. They saw the same children. So it became like their church that they came to the beach. And yet we know, don't we, that a lot of them wouldn't go into a formal church, but they'll come down and, and be with us and hear the stories. So I think the church has got to get that idea in its head that it's no good sitting in our churches. We've got to turn outward and go into the community. And in fact, one of the in the service, we, we're using a Bible passage there and we're talking about where, where the shepherd goes and looks for the lost sheep. And in reality, the church becomes the flock, doesn't it? Because that's, that's what we feel comfortable in. But actually, what we've got to do is go out and look for the people that have still got to, to, to find Jesus. And that's what we do on the beach. We just introduce Jesus in a gentle way through stories to the children on the beach. 
There's no pressure. There's no, you have to sign up for this or commit to do that. But you're putting something there and you never know when that story that they heard down on the beach in a very, as you say, very relaxed, very informal atmosphere or a moral that came out of a game that they played, you never know when that's going to just come back to them and make sense of their everyday life or perhaps a challenge that they're up against. No, that's true. And we, we hear stories and often it's not us that, hear, that have those conversations. So I spoke to a pastor a few years ago from the Elam Pentecostal Church and he said to me, he had a conversation with somebody on the front, went for a coffee with them and the conversation was about something they'd heard on the beach when they were a child that had come back to their mind now and they wanted to, to, to know more about this person who'd been in their mind. So the seed was sown. He described it as you cast your bread on the water but actually it comes back and we get the benefit of those conversations in later years. So sometimes that's hard because actually you want to see the fruit of, of, of what is happening, don't you? You want to see that. We want to see churches growing. We want to see every church grow. That's not our time. That's God's time to change people's hearts and minds. That pressure's off us. We just put the message out there and it's God who changes the hearts and minds. Now, here we are, midpoint of mm. the Peel Beach Mission. So if people are inspired and, and enthusiastic about what you've said, they've still got a whole week to join in. So you traditionally meet when the, the weather is, is suitable outside the kiosk on the beach mm-hmm. in Peel. So you have three sessions a day, don't you? Well, yeah, we've changed it slightly this year because uh, what we discovered was a lot of the younger people, children are getting towards the end of junior school or actually are teenagers, they're often they're doing other things during the day so we started a four o'clock club we meet at four o'clock on the beach as well and that gives more of the older children a chance to sit around and have a chat and play some games but we still meet at our normal time in the morning and we meet in the afternoon and at those sessions we play games we tell bible stories we have a great time give prizes out and that so we actually have got three sessions during the day and often we find the parents sit on the prom or on the steps by the kiosk go and get a coffee and we also have people on the top who can sit and chat with people so it's trying to engage with everyone that comes down not just the children on the beach but it's great we'd love to see more children it's been a challenge this week because of the weather but we will always try and get down on the beach but if not the Methodist Church in Peel has been very kind and uh, allowed us to use their facilities. So we've still been meeting despite the pouring rain. But we hope that we'll be down on the beach every day next week. So morning sessions starts at what time? We meet down there usually about 10.30, but we start a little bit after that. And in the afternoon, we're down there at 2.30. So if, if the children come down or the parents come down with the children, any time after half 10 and we start at half two in the afternoon. And then, as I say, we've got the four o'clock time. So just come along, join in. There's no charge. And, and in fact, you don't have to pre-register. We'll just take a note for safety reasons. We take a note of who's there. We're open to anyone to come along come for one day come for one session we don't mind we just love to see you there especially can i thank the community of peel who have been wonderful to us have taken us into their lives and we're very appreciative and we never underestimate the joy and love they give us
Thank you, Reverend Paul Lewis, a member of this year's Peel Beach Mission team. And you can find out about this coming week and watch a great little video of last week's events by going to facebook.com forward slash Peel Beach Mission. And we're staying in Peel to meet my next guest. I called into the cathedral in Peel to see the dean, the very Reverend Nigel Godfrey, who said he had some news to share. Nigel, you hate being interviewed. You don't allow this to happen very often. So it must be a really important occasion, and it is, because the cathedral is actually going to be closing for public worship very soon. Yes, and that'll be from the 7th of August. We will, of course, transfer ourselves to another location, the Corrin Hall, where worship will continue. And that, of course, is in the cathedral grounds. Now, it's got to be something really significant if you're closing the cathedral. So what are you doing? Our plan is to flatten the floor. It's very up and down with wooden platforms on which the pews sit and pipework, which is the old central heating system, proud of the tiled floor. So it's quite dangerous. But actually, more fundamental than that, we're aiming to move towards carbon neutrality so that by 2030, we hope that we will be a carbon-neutral cathedral. So part of that is that we're putting underfloor heating in, which will be powered by air source heat pumps. So that's the main element of the project, but we're also putting in new toilets, baby change and disabled amongst them, a new commercial kitchen that can serve both community things and cathedral events and so on. And then Two meeting rooms, one at a lower level in what is currently the North Vestry and one at a higher level in the North Vestry. There will be other associated things, but those are the main changes that will be obvious to people visiting. The overall vision of what we're intending to do, we will continue with our daily services and there's always two and often three daily. So they will either be in a small chapel or in the main building. And then alongside that, there will be community activities. So the, the aim is to have the cathedral working morning through tonight, every day of the week. Yes, of course, we're here to serve people in terms of weddings, funerals, baptisms, all those occasional services. And the routine of worship for the community happens here daily. But we also, part of our, our liturgy is is to be socially active in the community so things like the big table cafe will will come into the cathedral the toddlers group and so on we hope that we're a place of meeting where people can also cross the threshold of the building and feel that it's their home by definition the cathedral serves the whole of the isle of man 
and we welcome all sorts of people doing all sorts of things. So we want the flexibility in the new building to be able to be at one moment a concert, another moment a banquet, another moment a worship space. So we want the flexibility to be able to do that and welcome all people with their different requirements and needs. What's the floor itself going to look like? It will be fundamentally polished flagstones, but obviously while being polished they have to be safe to walk on so people don't slip but at the same time they have to be able to be clean so that the water of cleaning materials doesn't sink into the the surface i think it'll look spectacular in that it'll create a space right across the nave of the cathedral which we'll keep clear when it's not required to have chairs in it so that it can be used for very different kinds of things. And people coming to visit might come for a, an art exhibition and the floor will be part of the, the glory of the new building. And glory is the right word because it is a beautiful building. I'm, I'm looking around now with the evening sunlight streaming through the beautiful stained glass windows. When we had the new lighting in the cathedral, it enhanced the building and people have very much appreciated the architecture, which they hadn't really seen before, but the lighting lights all the details up and the floor will help to show off the architecture again. And there will be also supplementary lighting, so the columns will be lit as well in the new scheme. I frankly can't wait to see it. How long are we going to have to wait, though? Well... In an ideal world, we'd like to be open for Easter 24, but we may have a bit of slippage. We don't know. We just have to be patient. And, and, and in the interim period, when we're worshipping the kind of the regular routine of Sunday morning services, weekday services will happen in the Corin Hall. But on Sunday evenings, the choir will be going on safari. So once a month, they'll be in different churches as a full choir. And then in between times, they are going to be at other locations. So every Sunday night, the choir will be somewhere else. You have never wanted the choir to be seen as the exclusive possession of the cathedral, have you? No, the, the trust which looks after the music, uh, the cathedral, has a broad brief which aims to develop and assist choral music across the island. So we feel that's part of the journey, yes. Yeah. The, the process has already begun. So we've been to Andreas, for example, St. Matthew's. So it, we've begun. It's a time of upheaval for the cathedral and it's a massive logistics operation, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, and it's sometimes we're just commandeering other people's garages. So, for example, the Christmas decorations, somebody's volunteered to take all those... There are other people who've volunteered to take all the church linen and so on. We have a huge inventory. It's in several volumes and, and is also digital. So we know where things should be. <laughs> Dean Nigel, thank you very much indeed for giving us a little insight. We wish you every possible success. Thank you very much indeed.
so from a conversation with Dean Nigel inside the cathedral, let's go outside to eavesdrop on a conversation between Rosemary Clark, a member of the cathedral's ministry team, and our own Ben Hartley, who's frankly a bit puzzled about what the link is between a bunch of bananas, an old-fashioned cable isolator, and a bass clef. As he's about to find out, they're all symbols that you'll need to find if you're taking part in Ride and Stride, a summer treasure hunt that Rosemary has organised. 69 of the island's churches are taking part. 60 of them are displaying, somewhere on the outside of the building, a different symbol. Nine of them are giving a clue to something linked to their church. Using any form of transport, hence Ride and Stride, and armed with the treasure hunt entry form, you're invited to visit as many churches as possible, locate the symbol or answer the clue, and put what you found and where you found it on your entry form. Here's Rosemary Clark explaining to Ben Hartley what the symbols look like. It's got ride and stride on it, and then it's got a symbol. In this case, this is a bone, but this isn't one for the cathedral, so you'll have to find that somewhere else in the <laughs> island. Are all the clues and symbols easily visible, or will you have to kind of hunt around a bit? Are you keeping people on their toes? Good question. Um, because I thought I might take you to the Catholic Church here to show you where their symbol was, I went to just double-check to see if it was there. Do you know I couldn't spot it? <laughs> because, in fact, they've chosen to put theirs in a window on their church hall. And actually, it's obvious from the street if you're looking for it. And how many of the island's churches are taking part in this? Well, I think there are just over... 80 churches altogether on the island and 69 of them are taking part in it, which is fantastic. And I'm guessing you're doing this now because of the summer holidays. Uh, people have got until the 10th of September. But a great thing for the uh, the youngsters to get involved in throughout the uh, weeks of the summer holidays. Well, that's exactly what we thought. We thought that by spreading it out over the summer, it gives people a chance to just get out and explore the island and discover some of the churches many of which are interesting buildings in their own right. Some of them are tucked away a little bit. But another good thing is that uh, we have maps of the island and the people who form the government's mapping service have actually produced these maps specially for us. So they show which churches have got a clue or a symbol. And there are a few churches which are open during the day, every day, and where you can get a refreshing cup of tea or coffee, a self-serve basis. But that's nice to know where they are and they're on the maps as well. And as you mentioned, you know, so many of the island's churches are beautiful buildings and they've got beautiful grounds and surroundings as well. An example of that is Patrick Church. They've got quite a bit of land around their building and they've developed part of it into uh, community allotments. And they've also got war graves there and they've got an orchard. So that's a fascinating place to go. And there are some prizes up for grabs here as well. Uh, there are. First prize is from the Steam Packet Company and it's a £100 voucher. Ride and Stride continues till Sunday the 10th of September. Entry forms cost £5 each and are available at the churches taking part. And the easiest way to find out which churches are taking part is to have a look at the maps. You can download an all-island map with all the churches named by going to the website rideandstride.online. That's rideandstride, all one word, or lowercase, dot online. 
And now it's time to take a look at our notice board. And we start with afternoon tea at OKB. That's afternoon teas served this afternoon in the beautiful setting of Old Kirk Braddon between half past two and four o'clock. It's £8 per person. Just come along and pay at the door. This evening, there's a special anniversary evensong in St Bridget's Bride Parish Church, starting at half past six. It'll be led by the rector, Reverend Lynn Davidson, with special guest singers Jeff and Sue Collier and organist Reverend Joe Dudley. On Wednesday this week, there's another Summer Songs of Praise in St Adamnan's, Lonnon Old Church, and I have the privilege of leading this. It'll start at the usual time of half past seven, and it would be lovely to see you in this beautiful country chapel so rich in Celtic history. Also on Wednesday evening, the Summer Singers will be in concert in St Thomas's Church, just off the promenade here in Douglas. The concert starts at a quarter to eight, Admission and light refreshments are free and there's a chance to give to a retiring collection if you wish. And there's another summer concert on Thursday evening in St Catherine's Church in Port Erin. Starting at a quarter to eight with refreshments in the church hall afterwards, the music this week will be provided by John and Karen Elliott and friends. And I'm afraid that's all that we have time for now. But there'll be lots more notice board news tonight on Sundown. So I'll be in our virtual lounge tonight at nine with a mix of easy listening music and your requests and dedications. And I'd love you to join me if you can. So till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening. And I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. (laughs) 